and shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Fine West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Luhoko, and Figuleli Nwati. In our top stories, on Africa rise and shine at the Sawa, concerns over serious human rights violations in South Sudan. South Africa's ruling party pays tribute to Cuba's former leader Fidel Castro and South Africa launches major new trial of AIDS vaccine. In economics news, investors take a backseat on Zimbabwe's mining sector and in sports news, Proteus stand in captain explains the team's turnaround. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. Very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Gambians are heading to the polls to elect a president, with Yaya Jima seeking a fifth term in office. Most of the main parties have united behind estate agent Adama Barrow to challenge Jima. Human rights groups have accused him of harassing the opposition ahead of the poll and allegation he has denied. Allegation observers have questioned the credibility of past polls. Regional bloc ECOWAS boycotted the election in 2011, claiming the process was not free of fear and have also stayed away from this week's poll. The European Union has said it had been refused access to monitor the election. Rwanda has opened a formal probe into 20 French officials suspected of playing a role in the 1994 genocide and a move likely to further sour diplomatic ties with France. Kigali has long accused France of complicity in the genocide of some 800,000 mostly ethnic Tutsis at the hands of Hutu extremists. The dispute centers on France's role prior to the genocide as a close ally of the Hutu nationalist regime of Juvenal Habria Rimana. The shooting down of his plane over Rwanda's capital, Gigali, on the 6th of April 1994 was the event that triggered 100 days of the planned massacre. The African Union has strongly condemned the failed assassination attempt on President Pierre Kurunziza spokesperson Willy Nyametwe. Nyametwe escaped the assassination attempt on Monday night. His police escort was or ever killed in the attack. Police have confirmed that arrests had been made and that investigations were underway. Veterans of South Africa's ruling ANC, Maxisulu, has urged the country's leaders to ensure South Africa works for all its citizens. He was speaking at the ANC's memorial service for the former Cuban leader Fidel Castro in Johannesburg. The ANC stalwart reminded those in attendance of the contribution Castro made to South Africa and the region's fight for freedom. Sisulu has called on South Africans to emulate Castro's simplicity, honesty and desire to make sure that everyone lives a better life. We owe the world, the people of the world, a great tribute. And the only way we can repay, not that we ever can repay, 
is to make sure that our democracy works. Our democracy should be a democracy that works not for a few, but for the majority. Our democracy should symbolize the spirit of freedom, of no surrender, the spirit of going ahead to make it better for all of us, not better for some, but all of us. And finally, as the world commemorates World AIDS Day, South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa says the fight against HIV, AIDS and TB is not over. This year's theme is it is in our hands to end HIV and TB. In his AIDS message, Ramaphosa says it's up to South Africans to help in the fight against HIV and TB. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, serious human rights violations are continuing in South Sudan and are more serious than previously thought, according to a visiting UN Human Rights Commission. Civil conflict erupted in the African country three years ago, leading to the deaths of thousands of people and forcing almost three million more to flee their homes. During their 10-day visit, the team of three commissioners met with government officials and visited communities displaced by conflict in the capital, Juba, and the towns of Malakal, Bentui, and Wau. Philip Wani reports from South Sudan. In a daunting statement, the commissioners said the unprecedented levels of violence and ethnic tensions offer fault lines along which the country could fracture. Commission Chairperson Yasmin Suka noted what she called a total breakdown of law and order with hardly any formal courts of law in operation. As one woman put it to me, in South Sudan there is no law. What is here is the law of the jungle. Coupled with that is the fact that forced and child recruitment is being conducted by all parties to the conflict. Suka said the international community has an obligation to prevent mass killings and stop the country from falling into catastrophe. She outlined his specific immediate steps. These are sanctions, asset freezes, an arms embargo, and the immediate deployment of the 4,000-strong protection force in South Sudan, which should not be restricted to the capital alone. On justice and accountability, the commissioners stressed the need to compile and preserve evidence for future accountability. Commissioner Kenneth Scott said there's no time to wait for the hybrid court to act on violations and ensure justice for victims. We don't have to wait for a full court to be set up. We can set up the investigative component first and then build the rest of the court, if you will, as we go. We have to get some investigative element on the ground as soon as possible. Godfrey Musila, a legal consultant from Kenya and member of the commission, noted a worrying spread of violence. 
We've established that the situation is much more serious and more concerning than earlier thought. We, in fact, visited eastern Equatoria. We were in Imatom and we went to a number of places. Violations are still happening, serious violations. The team was mandated by the Human Rights Council in Geneva to monitor and report on the situation of human rights in the country and make recommendations for its improvement. This is the second field visit to South Sudan and will be presenting their report to the council in March. And that report by Philip Wani in South Sudan. It's 8.08 and let's go back to history Today, in 1999, the UN Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, lists Robben Island as a World Heritage Site. Robben Island is located off the coast of Cape Town in South Africa and was named as such by Dutch explorers who encountered many seals on the island. Countless members of the liberation struggle were imprisoned there, most notably Nelson Mandela, who spent 18 years on Robben Island. That was Today in History in the year 1999. The 16 Days of Activism for No Violence Against Women and Children is an international awareness-raising campaign. It takes place every year from the 25th of November, International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, to the 10th of December, International Human Rights Day. The period includes Universal Children's Day and World AIDS Day. If it doesn't harm you, it is good. If it doesn't harm others, it is good. We are talking about doing good for the sake of goodness. Bambelela. Hold on to what is good if you can. If you can do it, just do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. South Africa adopted the campaign in 1998 as one of the intervention strategies towards creating a society free of violence. The campaign raises awareness against South Africans about the negative impact of violence against women and children on all its facets of the community. Channel Africa calls on all our listeners to say no to violence against women and children. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. The United Nations Human Rights Chief warns that concerns for the people of Syria city of Aleppo are greater than ever where embattled residents say they are waiting for death. In this end-of-year review to the Human Rights Council in Geneva, Zayad Rad al-Hussein made a fresh appeal to the government of President Bashar al-Assad for access to the war-torn country. He described how the vast majority of those in the east of the city are trapped without food or medicine and face accelerating bombardment. Daniel Johnson has more. Addressing UN member states in Geneva on Wednesday, Human Rights Chief Zaidrad al-Hussein announced no significant improvement on official requests for access to Syria. All the while, the plight of men, women and children gets worse. Pounded by accelerating bombardment, deliberately deprived of food and medical care, many of them, including small children, report that they are simply waiting for death a nightmare which uh, clearly violates the most basic norms of human rights and any shred of human decency. 
Outside Syria, the UN High Commissioner painted a bleak picture of further deteriorating human rights situations around the world, where political leaders were stoking discrimination and, as he put it, the potential for mob violence. Zaid also spoke about the Great Lakes nation of Burundi, where the government is now considering asking public workers to declare their ethnic identity, and where humanitarians report a massive spike in refugees in recent months. Zaid pointed too to ongoing violence in Myanmar's Rakhine state, scene of allegations of extrajudicial killings, torture, and sexual violence against the Rohingya minority in recent weeks. Some 30,000 Rohingya Muslims have been displaced as government security forces continue their operation following an attack on border guards by unknown assailants in October. The human rights chief warned of the consequences of inaction by the state. As in any country, if security operations violate the people's fundamental human rights, they will deepen grievances and may lead to far greater violence. Respect for human rights norms is the only possible way to ensure real and sustainable security in Myanmar. Newly appointed Assistant Secretary General for Human Rights Andrew Gilmore was also at the Human Rights Council informal session. He focused on the situation in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which has been gripped by violence and killings amid protests linked to President Joseph Kabila, whose term in office ends on the 19th of December. At least 50 people were shot and killed by security forces in September demonstrations, but there have been many other worrying recent developments inside DRC. Mr. Gilmore said, "A ban on all public demonstrations by opposition parties or civil society is now in effect throughout most of the country, but this doesn't seem to apply to the ruling majority, whose gatherings continue to take place." Allegations of terrible rights violations by ISIL terrorists also continue to surface in the Iraqi city of Mosul. In her call to start planning for the day after ISIL, Deputy High Commissioner for Human Rights Kate Gilmore stressed the importance of the Iraqi government's commitment to the rule of law. The challenges are considerable, Mrs. Gilmore said, before calling for the long-term support of the international community so all Iraqi people could unite to take their country forward. Daniel Johnson, United Nations, Geneva. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa has thanked the nation for working with the government to prevent the scourge of HIV/AIDS. He was speaking in his capacity as the chairperson of the South African National AIDS Council (SANAC) ahead of World AIDS Day today. South Africa has the biggest and most high-profile HIV epidemic in the world, with an estimated six million people living with the disease. However, Ramaphosa says progress against the disease has. Has been made, including implementing the largest HIV treatment program in the world. We are inspired by the many actions taken by many South Africans from all walks of life over many years to fight AIDS. Thank you to your efforts. We have the biggest HIV treatment program in the world with nearly 3.5 million people on life-saving antiretrovirals. We are bringing care and treatment for TB to the doorstep of vulnerable populations in correctional services and mining towns. Today, South Africans are living longer and have more productive lives. Fewer people are dying from AIDS and TB. We have dramatically reduced mother-to-child transmission of HIV. This has been made possible because all of us have worked together. 
We have risen to the challenge. We are acting together in various ways, big and small, to spread information, to fight stigma, and to promote healthy lifestyles. But the fight against HIV and TB is far from over. The rate of new HIV infections is still extremely high. Of particular concern are the high rates of new HIV infections among adolescent girls and young women. As we expand our treatment program, we need to make prevention of HIV transmission a critical and immediate priority. We have no choice. We must act now to stop the spread of HIV and TB. We must preach and practice responsible sexual behavior. This means using a condom during every sexual act. It means not having multiple sexual partners. It means getting tested regularly. It also means working together in communities as individuals and as organizations in order to combat stigma and discrimination. We will not overcome these diseases unless we work harder to overcome the economic and social problems that fuel the spread of these diseases. We must ensure that all South Africans have shelter, have food, water and decent sanitation where they live. We must strive for gender equality in the home, in the community and in the workplace. We must stop violence against women and children. We must also create a society in which people are able to take responsibility for their own well-being and the well-being of those around them. We therefore call on all South Africans to play their part today and every day. The future of our country depends on you. It is indeed in our hands to end HIV and TB. That was South Africa's Deputy President Silva Ramaphosa speaking as we mark World AIDS Day today. A South African clinical trial resumed yesterday in what promises to be a possible vaccine to prevent HIV. The study called HVTN702 aims to enroll over 5,000 sexually active men and women between the ages of 18 and 35 and will take place in about 15 sites across the country. It will be the largest and most advanced HIV vaccine clinical trial to take place in South Africa. Dr. Carl Diefenbach is Director of the Division of AIDS at the National Institute of Health in the United States. Seven years ago, there was the first, poss- the first signal of, of, of a vaccine that might be effective against HIV. It was a trial, trial called the TIE trial, or RV144. And for the past seven years, we've been studying the output of that um, trial to understand why it works and how it works with a goal toward designing a vaccine that would work in, uh, in South Africa. Uh, fundamentally changing it from a vaccine that would work in Asia to one that would work um, in, in, in Africa. We designed the vaccine. We tested the vaccine in a study called HVTN100, 
which demonstrated that this vaccine behaved exactly as we expected it to in um, African men and women. We feel very confident now that um, putting this into a bigger study is the absolute right thing to do. We have the support of the South African MRC and many other um, people who are sponsoring it with us. We're very excited about this process as we head forward. Why did you decide to launch one that would look at a vaccine that would work specifically on Africans? Um, Is the makeup of Africans different from people from the rest of the world? No, it's not about the makeup of Africans. It's about Africans. It's about the nature of the virus here in South Africa. So what we've actually done is gone back and tested the vaccine that we used in Thailand as well as the vaccine we've redesigned to work in South Africa and demonstrated that there's nothing unique, that both Thais and South Africans respond quite similarly. But the, the issue that we face as a, as a global community is the, the degree of urgency to find a vaccine that will work here in Africa where HIV is having the biggest impact is paramount. So we're, we're studying um, this, this vaccine here essentially as a public health emergency so that we can get a vaccine that will work um, that will really help to stem the epidemic in sub-Saharan Africa. How have locals received the news? Uh, what's reaction been like to this? Well, that's a really important question because we have been having an ongoing conversation with the people here in South Africa through community, through community advisory boards, and through um, people who um, represent community to talk about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and the nature of the changes we've made. And we've actually received um, um, significant a level of acceptance from, uh, from South Africa and South Africans. The Medicines Control Council has evaluated this vaccine, as have all the advisory boards for all of all 15 of our sites and they're quite enthusiastic about it. Now let's just about the people that you've selected to be a part of this trial. What was the selection process like? So this is a purely volunteer process where study participants come into the clinic, they are educated about the vaccine, and then of their own volition, they choose to sign up for the trial or not. Uh, so this is purely voluntary. Um, and we take people in, um, they accept to participate in the trial, and at any point during the trial process, they are free to withdraw. But at the end of the day, our, the, 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 the level of support we provide to people uh, tends to keep them engaged um, in the trial. Because ultimately, we, what we provide with the trial is a comprehensive prevention package that represents the best of HIV prevention um, that is currently available. Uh, and so there is um, not necessarily benefit, but a degree of sense of value um, that the participants feel for joining the study. Is it a specific person that you wanted? Is it someone who has um, a certain behavior, perhaps? Well, that's an important question. I think that the issue that we have uh, in South Africa is uh, there's a certain level of risk just being a sexually active adult. Um, simply because of the, the, the current prevalence of HIV. So I think that the challenge we face is to fight the stigma associated with HIV by encouraging everybody to declare um, their sexual preference and define that they are willing to fight HIV by joining a study such as this and, um, and, and participate in clinical research.
Because ultimately, only through the strength of our communities all coming together can we um, fight HIV. But you're not, uh, as you're conducting this trial, you're not uh, encouraging them to change their behavior. Perhaps maybe if you, if somebody uses condoms oh, all the time. Are. We absolutely are. We we encourage the use of condoms. We encourage the use of safe sex practices and encourage the um, the approach of talking to your sexual partners about HIV um, and and having this opportunity to have a full dialogue and a full discourse about what HIV means. Um, at, but at the end of the day, people are people. Um, and as much as we can encourage them, not everybody can be um, in, a, a, in a relationship that allows that kind of honesty. Mm. But that is something that we routinely counsel people for. Uh, doctor, so when are results... Change in condom use is something we, we counsel for. Yeah. When are results of this trial expected to be out, Doctor? We think over the next 20 months, which is um, you know almost two years, it will take us to enroll the 5,400 people. Then we're going to follow these people for another um, several years. So we expect to have the, full, the, the complete results of the study by 2020 or 2021. That was Dr. Carl Diffenbach, a director of the Division of AIDS at the National Institute of Health in the United States, speaking to Spumelele Zondi. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.26 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1988. World AIDS Day is observed for the first time under the theme, Join the Worldwide Effort. The aim of World AIDS Day is to bring to people's attention the worldwide challenges and consequences of the epidemic in order to prevent the spread of HIV and improve the lives of people living with the virus. That was Today in History in the year 1988. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzaka in Yawundi. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. South Africa's ruling African National Congress Secretary General Gwede Mandashe says Fidel Castro will live on for as long as the fight against imperialism continues. He was speaking at the memorial service of the late Cuban leader Al Comandante Fidel Castro in Johannesburg. The event was attended by several ANC veterans, leaders of the alliance including Kosatu, the SACP and Sankor. Debo Mogobo has more. 
a fitting tribute to a revolutionary that many describe as the greatest leader of the 20th century who dedicated his entire life in building a better life for all humanity. Fidel Castro is hailed for helping to liberate South Africa from the yoke of apartheid, the other region, the continent and the world from colonialism and imperialism. And the ANC says the oppressed people of the world will forever be indebted to his contribution. With over 600 attempts on his life, Castro's stiff opposition against imperialism was undeterred. ANC Secretary General Guedemontage says as a true revolutionary, Castro lived to see justice for his people, insisting that for as long as the vestiges of imperialism exist, his legacy will continue to inspire many generations to come. He has outlived the hostility of the U.S. regime and witnessed the beginning and the process of normalization of the diplomatic relations between Cuba and the United States. What is important is that freedom bangs roll in the different corners of the globe. Justice cries on the doorstep of our world. Humanity ends to be. Imperialism is not dead. Therefore, Fidel Castro lives on because the fight against imperialism must continue. The ANC Secretary General also urged party members to emulate Castro, whom he said hated imperialism and those who loved money at the expense of the revolution. He's depicting imperialism as a prostitute. And he says, this prostitute called imperialism will never seduce us as the people of Cuba. The impact of money in politics, comrade, is a function of imperialism seducing revolutionaries to lose their vision and deviate from the cause. When we go to conference of the ANC, there is a lot of cash flow around that conference. We must all know this prostitute called imperialism is deviating us to take our eye off the ball. And the SACP for its part as the ANC-led government to stop being apologetic and pay a proper homage to the people of Cuba for their contribution in the liberation of this country. Solima Paila is the party's second deputy general secretary. How do we defend our revolution here at home? We can't even build a basic street committee. And you think you can defend the revolution? We have to reorganize ourselves and defend this revolution. He established the committees for the defense of the revolution every the masses learn about the revolution throughout. The revolution is not an abstract thing. It's about identifying the threats and how to confront those threats selflessly. This is Fidel Castro, the man who inspired us. As we are here, I can tell you, the Angolan government has sent several planes SG to go and pay proper tribute to Fidel Castro. We can't even dare to do it here because we are afraid. We have to actually appreciate the contribution of the two bands and on the basis of that be able to pay proper solidarity with the people of Cuba. Kosato President Dumotlameni on the other hand says workers struggle in South Africa would have been meaningless without the 1959 Cuban Revolution, insisting that they have scored many victories in the past 22 years with the latest being the minimum wage for the lowest paid workers. We can say we are indeed, as workers in the country, a direct beneficiary of the Cuban Revolution under 
Commander Fidel Castro because today I can report to this meeting we are busy now working to finalize what could be a fitting national minimum wage. Last week we received for the first time a comprehensive social security paper from government. The late former Cuban leader will be buried at the Santa Efegenia Cemetery in Santiago, Cuba on Sunday. I am Tebu Mokobe in Johannesburg. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa on the headlines. Morocco accuses the African Union's Commission Chairperson Nkosazana Tlamini Zuma of blocking Rabbit's efforts to rejoin the AU and lacking neutrality. Gambians head to the polls to elect a president with Yayo Jema seeking a fifth term in office. And Rwanda opens a formal probe into 20 French officials suspected of playing a role in the 1994 genocide in a move likely to further sour diplomatic ties with France. Those are the stories making headlines. And drought and below average rainfall plays a major role in any country's water stocks. According to the World Wildlife Fund, the first signs that South Africa was headed into a water crisis came in 2010, which was six years ago. Despite this, calls to protect this natural resource went mostly unheeded. That is, until our dams were nearly dry. Benita Enoch goes back to the start of our problems and asks how we can rewrite our future with better secured water supplies. There's a proverb that states, we cannot know where we're headed unless we know from where we've come. Communities falling under the Bushpark Ridge municipality are still struggling with water shortages. Water and Sanitation Minister Nomvula Mukonyane met her Danish counterpart in Johannesburg today aimed at tackling the water problem. To try to understand where it all started going wrong for what's been called one of our worst water crises in history, I'm spending time with Christine Colvin, a hydrogeologist and head of the freshwater program at the local arm of the WWF. Water experts in South Africa have been warning us since 2010. And unfortunately, in that long period of time when we didn't experience drought, we started to think of that as business as usual. South Africa is naturally liable to have regular drought periods. And even not considering drought, government has warned us that by 2025, at current rates of growth, the demand for water would outstrip supply. The concern over water security extends to the management of our natural environment and the competence of institutions governing water quality and supply. Our water security isn't only dependent on having dams and pipes that don't leak, but it's also dependent on having intact, healthy landscapes that can continue to yield water from our catchments into our river systems and then into our managed and engineered infrastructure. There are certainly a lot of fabulous innovations and new technologies that we're going to need to bring to the fore very quickly. 
but we can't embed those technologies in institutions that don't have the right technical competence. So we really need the human competence to be able to manage technologies effectively. In June last year, Water and Sanitation Minister Nomvulu Mokanyane spoke about desalination as a technological means of providing water to drought-affected areas. On the issues of desalination, we believe that this is a plane that will allow to fly as we actually improve it. We will actually have the short to medium interventions and finally have a countrywide solution. Desalination is a process that removes minerals from saline water, like that found in the sea, but also for water found in soil. The outcome of it is to produce content that is suitable for irrigation or human consumption. We can't say that we're just going to desalinate water and have plug-and-play desalination systems. Those systems have proven not to work in the kind of settings where we don't have people who can manage the operation of them effectively. If we're to climb out of this mess and ensure that we thrive with our water allocation, we've got to change the way we do things. How we decide to use land in our catchments, particularly in the water source areas, will critically affect our water security. What we decide to build on top of the recharge zones of our aquifers that are going to be increasingly important stores of underground water that's better protected than our dams that we see polluted on the surface at the moment. Those decisions are going to affect the amount and the quality of water that we have available in the future. Development planning will also need to take account of how we protect water resources from really severe pollution like acid mine drainage, and that includes coal mining. There are some areas where we definitely need to be leaving coal in the ground and not exposing it to our river systems and wetlands that will be polluted sometimes for hundreds of years. Once we overcome these challenges, we're still left with climate change to contend with. We expect that climate change and the effects of climate change are going to make droughts in South Africa more frequent and more severe. It's showing us that we may experience more severe flooding, particularly in the western part of the country. If the past does indeed predict the future, there's a new normal we can expect from the weather in sunny South Africa. The way that we've responded to this drought is going to give us a clear indication of how we're going to manage our water resources in the future. This is very much a signal of a new normal and that we need to start managing not just our water resources, but the rest of the economy that's dependent on water. For anyone wanting to heed the call to save water, there are many tools available online for free. Regularly updated dam levels, water risk assessment and real-time communication with water authorities are part of the mix. For me, that really shows how sharing that kind of information has heightened our awareness. What we do with that information is also critical. We've produced something called the Water Risk Filter, which anybody can use for free. It's available on the Internet. And businesses and individuals can find out whether their water risk in their area is a result of poor governance or a result of a naturally dry area or somewhere where there's still a huge backlog. It's never too late, another proverb that's frequently quoted. The saying tries to encourage people to make a change for the better regardless of when they decide to do it. I'm Benita Enoch in Cape Town. 
More than 500 women from environmental justice organization Earthlife Africa, Johannesburg and grassroots partner organizations will march to Eskom regional offices in Johannesburg today. They will be marching against South Africa's new energy plan released last month, which they say is a farce and does not reflect the energy needs of women and the communities that they support. For more on this, Wandile Kalipa spoke to Nomalizo Koma, Education and Outreach Officer at Earthlife Johannesburg. Women in Energy and Climate Change Forum that has been facilitated by Earthlife Africa will be demonstrating at ESCOM. The reason for them to demonstrate at ESCOM is because it's 16 days of activism against women and children abuse. We felt that ESCOM is abusing us as women. In which manner? ESCOM, they've introduced their prepaid electricity, the smart card, something like a prepaid electricity, which we feel that for us as women, it doesn't help us. Instead, it makes us to spend more on energy than the usual conventional account that we used to have. And we also say on the 28th, there was a IRP 2016 that came out. And what we're saying again is that with IRP, it doesn't talk about the way in which we can have a better pre-basic electricity. Because remember, we were promised the pre-basic electricity. So, which is something that we don't have. It says the IRP 2016 says nothing about the current energy poverty. The IRP also talks to business. It doesn't talk to the real people, you know, people on the ground, more especially to us women. As WCCF, we also say there's different, you know, municipalities that are giving out the free basic electricity, which is not equal. But we live in the same country and we are the South African citizens. But when it comes to municipalities, the free basic electricity that we were promised is no longer 50 kilowatts per hour. It's less than that. Others are getting 39 kilowatts per hour. Others, they don't even get it. And it's like you ask yourself that where is it? Because we were promised as citizens of South Africa that we are entitled to free basic electricity. And as women in energy and climate change, we also said to Department of Energy that the 50 kilowatts per hour is not enough for each household. So we propose that the basic electricity, it must come to 200 kilowatts per hour. But it's like it's something that we've been talking about, but it's not even addressed. Instead, they are addressing the issue of your nuclear, that we are in South Africa, when it comes to energy, people, they don't have energy, they don't have electricity, and so we need more electricity. That's why they're also introducing the nuclear energy, which is, again, as we are in energy and climate change, we say the nuclear energy is not sustainable. And the nuclear energy, it does also pollute because we know in South Africa we're also facing problems with the mine dams that are all over Houghton and even the other provinces. So we're saying again, we don't need nuclear energy. Nuclear energy is not an energy solution. The energy solution is the renewable energy that we know of for sure that it is good, it's also clean, and it's affordable to us. Now, Nomalizo, what is it that you and your organization are doing for women in order so that women should be 
energy rich through some of the programs that you are undertaking in order to see to it that women have enough and sufficient energy in order to be able to live? Okay, what we're doing, we teach them to be energy efficient. The normal one that you don't have to switch on the electricity lights where you're not waking, where you're not, there's no one in a room, in an empty room. You know, we also teach them how to make the wonder bed with the way of cooking where you will save your energy, your electricity by half cooking your food and during the sunlight you just put your pot in the, in the wonder bed and put it out there on the sun. You know, your food will cook as time goes and through the sun and with the sunlight. So it's something that we're doing. We're also teaching them on how, you know, to preserve food. You can, you know, vegetables, if you have enough vegetables, you can that, so that you don't have to recook it again. And it's something like that. We, that those are the things that we're doing. We're also teaching, and not only teaching, but giving them information on what is happening on our electricity in South Africa and what kind of electricity that we need so that we feel that it's affordable and everyone can be able to utilize that. So now, what type of energy do you feel that would be affordable for women in South Africa? The energy that is for us, that we feel that it is affordable, it's the renewable. It is affordable financially and also even with our health, with the environmental impact, it's available. It's so affordable. It doesn't pollute. Firstly, and secondly, we know that it can be much cheaper. As they say, it's expensive. It's not expensive. It's cheaper. The what is expensive is the coal. You know that the fossil fuels are also, you know, destroying the planet. We facing climate change is due to the pollution that have been contributed by low as from the energy intensive users. That was Nomalizo Oma, Education and Outreach Officer at Earthlife Africa, speaking to Channel Africa's Wandile Kalipa. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Namibia International Beach and Cultural Festival, Langstrand Beach, Walfers Bay, Namibia, 23rd, 24th, 25th of December, Music Festival with international and local artists, four-night accommodation packages and activities available at CompuTicket Travel, main event tickets available at CompuTicket, 150 Namibian dollars, 150 rands, and 130 pula, tickets are available at ShopRite and Checkers, get yours today, VIP is 500 Namibian dollars, 500 rands, or 380 pula. Hashtag Xmas in Namibia. Hashtag Harambe. Cultures of Southern Africa route is powered by Channel Africa. www.culturalfestival.net. Download the app today.
And I'm Tabi Solohoko with an economics update. Good morning. Investors are increasingly taking a backseat on Zimbabwe's mining sector with the industry seeing no greenfield investments this year. The two precious metals have also sparkled for Zimbabwe, with output for gold and platinum rising 13% and 20% to 16 tons and 10.8 tons respectively. Revenue for gold surged 22% to 648 million US dollars, while income for platinum firmed 4% to 298.5 million dollars. President of South Africa's Food and Allied Workers Union, Atul Nazo, has called for a summit on sugar, fat, health and jobs in order to deal with causes of obesity. Nazo says the summit will also discuss the needed health policy measures and the future of jobs before the implementation of the sugar tax next year. He was addressing FAU members in Durban during a march against the proposed introduction of a sugar tax by government. South Africa's Public Enterprises Minister, Lynn Brown, has approved a recommendation by the Board of Power Utility to appoint Majela Koko as Acting Group CEO of Eskom effectively immediately. Koko is the current head of a generation at Eskom after he joined the Power Utility 96 as an engineer in training. Oil has shot up over 10%. After producer club, OPEC and Russia cut a deal to reduce output to drain a global supply glut. The organization of the petroleum exporting countries have agreed it's a first oil output reduction since 2008 after de facto leader Saudi Arabia accepted a big hit and dropped a demand that arch-rival Iran also slashed output. The U.S. dollar trades at 39.6 in South Africa. 1057 in Botswana, 983 in Zambia, 80 British pound, 94 euro, gold 1170 dollars, platinum 906 dollars an ounce, brand crude 52 dollars, 33 cents a barrel. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our sports updates up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, looking at football news. Football Association of Malawi, FAM, will hold extraordinary elections on the 14th of January next year during annual general meeting scheduled for Lilongwe. The extraordinary elections will be done to fill the position of executive member which fell vacant after Alfred Gunda assumed the position of general secretary, replacing Suzgo Nirenda. FAM stated that the elections would be held in line with Article 35 of the Constitution. The association has since notified the body's electoral body, affiliates, Malawi Electoral Commission, who will conduct the polls. The association has since called upon individuals interested to run to submit their nominations before the 16th of December. The extraordinary elections will be held barely one year after the associations elected a new committee which ushered in President Walter Nyamilandu to a fourth consecutive four-year tenure of the office. In cricket news, Protea stand-in captain Fav Duplessis confessed that they needed to do a lot of soul-searching 
and opening up to each other as a team in order for them to turn things in the last year. The Proteas look to have turned the corner after failing to win crucial series at home and going down the ICC ODI and test rankings in the last 18 months. Duplessis believes that it is good to see the winning team spirit back in the side after they put a number of issues on and off the field aside. That's a couple of reasons. Uh, I think, first of all, we've made it pretty obvious what we wanted to achieve individually and as a team. We sat down and we looked where we thought we were as a team at that stage and we weren't happy where we were. We wanted to be in a better place, so how that we changed that was we spent that weekend away and and really took a hard look at ourselves and and trying to make sure everyone can improve and, and there was some real brutal honesty that that came from that weekend and uh, without getting into too much detail about what was said there uh, that was from now probably 90 percent of the reason that our, our, there was a rebirth in our in our energy and our in our vision going forward and since then uh, the result speaks for itself so that shows you that how important it is to make sure that things off the cricket field is in a good space that's everything that's personal life cricket stuff selection boards everything like that all plays a role into making sure that our culture is strong so we spoke about everything that is the Proteus brand and certainly now we understand it a bit better and everyone wants to be on that boat and make sure that it goes forward so I think we're a lot stronger for it now. The Titan stalwart urged that nothing will change when AB de Villas returns to action later this month for the Boxing Day test in Port Elizabeth. The 31-year-old reiterated that he gives de Villas all his support as the leader of the site. The great thing is, uh, as I've said a few times, that we're very fortunate that we have three guys that's captain now for South Africa, and Ashley, myself, and Abby, that has got very similar, although slightly different, but very similar in, in the way that we want the culture to move forward. And with that on top, you'll have guys like JP and, and Dale and Morna, who's part of the leadership group, making sure that we, we stand together in whatever, whoever takes the team forward. So yeah, I don't see it as a massive uh, transition if Abby takes over. He will always have my 100% support. Um, he knows is that I'm completely behind him and uh, if he's captain then my role will be uh, obviously to let him run the ship and respect that and but give him my complete 100% in that. I'm a leader in the team. If I'm a leader in the team it brings the best out of me so I have to make sure that I lead one for myself and also for the team. And finally with tennis news former number two junior wheelchair tennis player Tando Tlachwayo has passed away at the age of 20. Tlachwayo, who hails from Peter, Paul Petersburg in Wazul Natal, South Africa's province, lost a battle against meningitis early on Tuesday morning after a very short illness. Tlachwayo took up wheelchair tennis in 2009, played her first tournament in April 2010 in East London, and just two years in the sport, she represented the country in the ITF Junior Camp Michelin in Belgium. Tlachwayo also represented South Africa in Russia, Great Britain, Sri Lanka, and Mauritius. Wheelchair Tennis South Africa manager Karen Losh explains. Yeah, um, Tando was at school last week. She was happy. She left for home for the holidays um, and we received the news yesterday that um, she had a short illness, was admitted to hospital and passed away from meningitis. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa concerns over serious human rights violations in South Sudan. South Africa's ruling party pays tribute to Cuba's former leader Fidel Castro and South Africa launches a major new trial for an AIDS vaccine. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutra Magadza and Khomutza Mopulani, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Is various African artists with a song titled We Are the Drums, a song that promotes the African fight against HIV AIDS as we mark World AIDS Day today. Africa.